Well, I certainly hope you and your family are safe, staying healthy. Man, hasn't our world changed? I stood out in the middle of my road the other day, normally fairly busy with traffic, in the evening, and there was nobody out there, which is kind of cool. It's kind of like going back in time in some ways, especially out in the farming community that I live in. This is The Farming Show here on KGMI News Talk 790. I'm your host, Dylan Honkoop, and farming has been more and more a part of this discussion as we deal with COVID-19 and uh, everything that it's done to our society, our economy, et cetera, et cetera. Farming is, you know, at first we were thinking, well, you know, people are going to keep eating, so... You know, that's, that's a good thing. You know, we'll still be able to keep farming because people need food. But it really has upended a lot of markets. We talked about that last week uh, with Whatcom Family Farmers Executive Director Fred Lickle uh, talking about just kind of the things that we're hearing. Uh, I like to get farmers on this program, but right now, honestly, farmers are really up in the air. They don't know what to expect, what's going to happen next. They're worried, and understandably so. They're also coming into busy season with plants getting started. Um, so honestly, it's been a little bit tough to get farmers to, who really want to speak out about this because I think they just, I don't know, they're crossing their fingers, praying and getting out in the tractor right now. Fred Lickle uh, is back with us as well as Save Family Farming Executive Director Gerald Barron. Uh, one of the things that came up towards the end of our conversation last week, Fred, was this issue of food security. And I know we had connected with some local groups recently who've been talking about it in light of the COVID crisis. Gerald, I know you've also recently published a piece digging into this issue and, and what this means for farming and family farming and, and our food system. Um, it's, it's a big issue, but COVID is really kind of forcing our hand as a society to deal with this, which isn't entirely a bad thing. Gerald, let's start with you first. What was the inspiration of your piece? Where can people find it? And what's kind of the upshot of what you're talking about there? Um, thanks, Dylan. Thanks for having me on here. Um, well, I think the upshot of the piece is Safe Family Farming and our affiliates, Whatcom Family Farmers and Eastern Washington Family Farmers, Skagit Family Farmers. We, we have a single vision of um, helping to secure the future of family farmers in Washington State. And while that may, co- well, it may come to a surprise of many people, certainly not uh, most people in your listening audience, uh, Dylan, but a lot of people in our, in our cities, there are a lot of pressures on farmers and on the future that are really putting into question the future of farming, uh, particularly in our state. We're kind of on the front lines of activism that has um, really been attacking farmers. Uh, and the, the, so the impetus for the piece that I wrote and published on Medium um, is that, you know, everyone uh, is, in a, is, is in a different state these days in, in many, many ways. And one of the things that's been thoroughly upset is how we get our food, uh, and um, you know we're we're cooking food at home <laughs> these days, and not going to restaurants. And uh, you know if we do do get food from restaurants, it's takeout, and it's pretty. You know it's so it, there's a huge change, and um, so I was just sort of um, thinking about the issue as people think about food and where it comes from. 
uh, and the importance of having local producers, local farmers, uh, local being within our state that um, where our food supply could be, you know, uh, aimed and directed at people, you know, who really need it in our state, but certainly in our nation as well. It, uh, it, you know, troubles me a lot that people, um, so many food consumers are not aware that so much of our food these days comes from foreign uh, farmers and foreign producers. Uh, And, uh, you know, these sorts of situations really uh, start to call into question, are we doing the right things as a nation and a community in terms of um, moving more and more of our food production to places like uh, China and Latin America and Mexico and Eastern Europe, places like that, because labor is so much less expensive. So really, it was a, um, a piece intended to have people start thinking through the issues about where their food comes from, the importance of local and, and national food supply, and um, and to start thinking about those pressures that are being applied against our farmers that we really need um, the help of our uh, of our food concern consumers to to help us in order to protect the future of farming. It kind of makes you think. Well, heck, here in Washington, we can grow just about anything, especially between all the different climates we have and different soils and. So many, you know, why can't we produce food for us here? Why can't our food be totally secure? If you were to close the borders to Washington, we should be able to to feed ourselves no problem here. But Fred, you and I have been involved in some of these local food security task force conversations, and there are plenty of obstacles to just being able to do that on a moment's notice, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of what inspired some of that talk as well, right? Yeah, I really felt like, and by the way, thanks for having me back again today, Dylan. I should let everybody know that, yes, Dylan and I are still social distancing, even though we're still in the same office. We are several feet away. (laughs) And um, so, but it is good to be be back. Um, Yeah, you know, I didn't think we got a chance to really dive deeply into some of those challenges last week when we were discussing things. And um, it, it's really interesting being involved in some of these discussions because right off, right away in them, I could tell on the one hand, we had folks that were really panicked by seeing how much food was flying off the shelves and then how many people were potentially going to be unemployed because we were discussing this mm-hmm. with food banks and what this meant. And, and there was a discussion about, well, how about if we just get some more local food? Why don't we just, you know, let's just go grow some more vegetables. And mm-hmm. folks hadn't realized that because of this intricate system that we had, that really wasn't, those options were very limited. You just don't grow go out and start growing vegetables and harvest them and process them. Because, because of those things that, that Gerald was talking about, a lot of those processing abilities are gone. Mm-hmm. So having a discussion about are we doing the right thing here, I, I think that's a, it's a good and a healthy place for us to start well, having that discussion. Categorically, what are some of the, the barriers to doing that? I mean, you talk about processing. We just do not have the processing facilities to produce um, veggies at a large scale here locally, for instance, that was one of the things we specifically looked at. But beyond processing, there are some other issues too. Food safety standards is one. Yeah, Gerald, Gerald mentioned it. Food safety, yeah. uh, labor is, I labor. think, one of the biggest ones. Not only is it a struggle to find enough labor, contrary to what some would try and say, labor is difficult to find here. It's very expensive. And the margins on products like vegetables and and some fruits are pretty small. So when you can grow them someplace else, and it's all about he who produces at the cheapest wins, it makes it that places like Mexico and 
California and others with warmer climates can grow the vegetables better, I'd be better, larger and cheaper yep. than we can here. But the, the questions that Gerald is bringing up are, are good and valid ones, and I'm glad that he is. And when we talk about processing, to go back to that, that's not always just because of market forces either, even though that's a significant factor, but regulation as well. We've been, we talked with that group I know about meat. Well, we don't have a slaughter, a USDA certified slaughter facility for meat here in Whatcom County. Why? Largely because of Whatcom County Council rules basically making it not possible to do that. So we have lots of meat that we grow and could grow more here in Whatcom County, but you have to send it two counties away at least to get it processed and bring it back. Which costs you, in the end, between that and buying it from someplace very cheap, it might be four times more expensive. So it, these folks that are they're having those discussions are caught in a bit of a conundrum. On the one hand, we want to say we want to have local food produced locally. But on the other hand, it becomes a lot more expensive. So uh, what is a good answer to that? Um, but what's been interesting, I think, in this, and I'd love to hear Gerald's take on this too, is how this pandemic, we want to call it that, has completely changed our food system and how things are how things are marketed, how things are grown, where things are being purchased. Um, I, I think he really pointed that out well in the article. I'd love to hear more about that because I think that really plays into this discussion. And, and by the way, this is the Farming Show on KGMI News Talk 790. Talking here with Fred Lickle, Executive Director of Whatcom Family Farmers. I'm your host, Dylan Honkoop, here on the Farming Show on KGMI. And uh, Gerald Barron, Executive Director of the statewide-focused Save Family Farming, is with us as well. Gerald, uh, yeah, talk about your your take on that issue that, that Fred just brought up. Well, um, I was amazed, shocked <laughs> to find out that um, we buy our food, that we as Americans buy more of our food from restaurants and places like that than we do grocery stores. The numbers that I saw were normally $578 billion were purchased at restaurants where about $550 billion were purchased at uh, food retail. Well, so that means that, you know, we've been getting most of our food um, from from restaurants, or at least the more expensive part of it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, all of a sudden, that got shut down. That is, the restaurants, schools, institutions, um, all of those things have been shut down as a, a result of the coronavirus. And, you know, so many of the farmers and processors and so have contracts with um, restaurants and restaurant suppliers or uh, schools, that sort of thing. And suddenly their contracts are gone. Uh, you know, so we have a strange situation <laughs> in that um, at the same time that, you know, people are concerned about having enough food in our grocery stores, we are dumping a tremendous amount of high quality food. Uh, just reading, and it's, it's absolutely sickening to read about what's happening in Florida right now, which is a, a major producer at this time of year of fresh, fresh vegetables and that sort of thing. And the amount that's just being dumped. I was also shocked to see that 7% of our domestic um, supply of dairy right now is being dumped. It's being put into manure pits or mm. uh, poured down the drain. 7%. And... Uh, 
Uh, I know that there's been some comment because some of the farmers were noting that while they are having to dump um, milk or suffer through extremely low milk prices all of a sudden, they go to a grocery store and they see a sign that says limit one per customer. And they're saying, what's going on here? Well, we, we did a little checking on that and found out it's primarily a logistics problem. So we have, you know, this has been such a huge disruption to our whole whole food system. A lot of farmers are going to be greatly hurt by it. We certainly hope that some of the measures that Congress are taking are going to be helpful to them. But I think overall, uh, you know, going back to the main point here, Dylan, is that, um, we, we really hope that people think more seriously about the, the food system, um, how it's being um, uh, set up now, and particularly what, uh, what can we do to ensure that we have uh, local farmers, you know, Wacom, Skagit farmers, that we have farmers in Washington state, and that we have national farmers because Farmers like dairy farmers have been going out of business rapidly in the last five years at, you know, at at an incredibly rapid pace. And, um, you know, some of these are due to pressures that just should not exist. Let me give you one example. I talked to a dairy farmer um, this morning in eastern Washington who has uh, just received notice that he is being taken to court. Uh, by this uh, attorney in Oregon, Mr. Charlie Tebbett, who has been, who has made a career out of suing dairy farms. His demands for this dairy is to put in place things that uh, Mr. Tebbett knows perfectly well will drive him out of business. That's the kind of thing that people need to be aware of to say, this makes no sense that a, an attorney whose primary motive is either to, um, to end dairy farming in the country or more possibly to make money because he certainly has earned millions of dollars by his lawsuits against dairy farms, uh, that why should he be allowed to force our farmers out of business and force more and more of our food products uh, to come from foreign countries? That's the kind of thing that, and that's you know just one specific example. We could talk about labor and the labor activism that we're mm-hmm. seeing, but um, you know there there are these things that are going on that are forcing farmers out of business, that are making it harder and harder for farmers, particularly in Washington State, um, to stay in business. And this whole situation, I think, is really highlighting the need uh, for our farmers to be there when when we most need them. So that's kind of the um, uh, thing we're trying to bring together here a bit. Is this, I, I, I don't know, I've been seeing an awful lot of political opportunism there. I think about that when you mention wh- what some of the labor, ac- the, the labor activists have been up to uh, across the country and here in the state. They're, they're, they, they clearly believe that uh, every crisis is a, an opportunity. Opportunity uh, that should not be uh, left to waste um, to, to further their political goals as well as to line their pockets. It is my view on it. Um, when when the information they're sharing again is false, as it always has been. But they're not the only group, and and you hear people talking about this being a big farm versus small firm thing or a a big ag problem. And look at how fragile our food system is. What, what do you say to that? Because is it about big versus small, or is there something e- even more important to, to quantifying what, what the source of, of the instability that we've seen is? Well, as you, as you know, Dylan, uh, Safe Family Farming, our interest is in uh, protecting and preserving the future of family farmers in Washington State. 
uh, and um, 98% of our farms in the nation are owned by families. And when we say family farms, we mean farms that are owned and managed by uh, the family. And they're usually multi-generation, often third, fourth, fifth generation farms. So um, some of them are big. Some of them are very big. A lot of them are small. Some of them are medium. Uh, so, But our position is we need them all. Our, our food system, our food economy, our farm economies are based upon uh, having all of these. If we were to, you know, if some people were to have their way and get rid of all the big farms, we would not have the farm infrastructure. Uh, you know, the professional services, the veterinarians, the tractor dealers, the insurance people that are needed to, to uh, keep our small and medium-sized farms in business. So they're all intertwined and they're all essential, even though the bigger farms are often the, the target of those people who, uh, you know, want to want, want to get rid of them. And, well, and I uh, think often they're viewed as synonymous with or together with um, basically the same thing as the big food companies that deal with distribution and sales and all that of the food product that's not necessarily the case particularly not here in washington state well, and we you know oh, go ahead fred uh, i was just going to point out too that um we uh, getting back to that discussion about the cost of food and what that was when we were having those discussions with the food banks is is there is there is a place for you know producing food economically as well and we know that the larger a farm gets the more we get efficiencies in place so finding that balance is going to be a real challenge but at least if we can start having that discussion it's important because it's one thing to have it produced larger and locally it's another thing when you're produ- when you're when you're getting product from someplace else yep. that does not have the standards that the that that are expected out there, but yet they're still being able to sell it at, the, at a much cheaper price, and it's just a competitive disadvantage. Thank you to both of you for joining uh, us for the joining for this conversation here on the program. Unfortunately, we're out of time. There is so much though that we could dig into on this issue, and again, nobody is happy about going through this COVID situation. There's going to be I think the the effects of this are going to be felt for a long, long time. But this may be one of the positive ones in some ways, despite the pains. And there are a lot of farmers who are going to be suffering in the near terms in the near term, but. I am hoping that this will result in long-term changes for the food and farming world that brings more stability uh, and support and and benefit for family farms and for farming here in the U.S. and farming here in Washington State. I don't know. Is that is that too big of a dream? Absolutely not. That's why we're here, yeah. right? I, we have to be dreaming that way. Will COVID be the, the catalyst for that finally happening? Gerald, do you, do you think that's kind of the, the silver lining angle here to, to this whole pandemic? Well, um, as both of you know, one of our major uh, uh, things that we do is we try to reach out to the urban voters and the uh, the food consumers in our cities, such as Bellingham and Seattle and Tacoma, Olympia, Spokane, etc. Uh, and one of the things that we run into all the time is that oh yeah, we take farmers for granted. You know, it's not it's not a big topic of high interest for a lot of them. My sense is if we were to go out and do a survey right now and say, how important is it to you that we keep our farmers going in Washington state? Mm. That answer would be quite a bit different today than it was two months ago. 
That's what I think the real impact of this is. Now we have to educate them and inform them as to why the future is not at all secure uh, based upon the things that are going on in our state, in our legislature, in our courts, in our legal system, all of those things. They need to know about that. And I think coming out of this, they're going to be far more sensitive to those issues. Gerald Barron, Save Family Farming. Fred Lickle, Whatcom Family Farmers. Thanks for being with us here on, on the Farming Show here this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks a lot, Dylan.